NFR Extra is a weekly podcast that focuses on the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and features icons that embody the rodeo and Western lifestyle. And now here are your hosts, Nevada Caldwell and Rockin' Robbie Hodges. NFR Extra, episode 47. Man, Robbie, Ryland, this is, uh, this, these two guests, obviously, with an age difference, a big variance. One, you know, started with the way back when, let's just say 40s, 50s. And then the other one, obviously, is his current guy coming up and he's, he's making a big splash, not just in the PRCA, but also the PBR. The first guest that we're talking about is Jack Roddy. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a two-time world champion, steer wrestler, big lanky guy, 6'5". He's no joke. But um, that's, that's not where it just stops with him. You know, this, this individual has been involved with, well, uh, Academy Awards, Disney, uh, as well as a big integral part. A uh, couple things, right, Brylan? Kind of the college world. What, what, what else was the, the, he's a part of there? Absolutely. You know, he had a big relationship with Cotton Rosser and getting involved with Cal Poly and the start of their multi-titled college radio team. And that's just the start of his career. And then he goes on to be the biggest money set a record for the total earnings earned in his world championship titles and a guy that has a resume that's unreal. Yeah, and I, you know, what's interesting about him too is he's seen kind of this evolution of rodeo going back from, let's just call it when it was the RCA towards the PRCA, kind of the importance of those things. And man, I mean, just this this guy's background is just amazing. You know, Robbie, you got to meet him for the first time. I think there was a great connection with you guys and kind of understanding the old school part of rodeo, right? I mean, he reminds you a lot of oh, a lot of the old school guys, didn't he? Absolutely, did. You know, it was kind of like that old. Like like where you're from, the old early Vegas days of rodeo, you know, he's just one of the Rat Pack guys. He was the, you know, like you said, and, and some of the things he talked about, you know, owning the bars and stuff. And uh, on top of all of that, just this kind of his, let's just call it his rodeo Western lifestyle pedigree is vast, right? I mean, you think about the things he's been a part of. When you think about marketing, I, I don't think that would be a word that i bring up in conversation with him but when you think about true marketing and the life he's lived he's been a giant part about making the rodeo what what way more than what it is right that just he's been in film books um integral part on the college or the kind of the youth side and education i you know this the conversation here is just fantastic i think you guys are gonna love it it's a lengthy conversation but man it's not boring and he's a bad dude speaking of bad dudes Cody Webster, professional bullfighter. Now that's our other guest here, and you can't get enough of how good this guy is, how good of a person he is. Been to the Wrangler NFR seven times. He's also been nominated as a PRCA Bullfighter of the Year seven times. Uh, but he's a young guy, right? We talked about Jack kind of coming up through the ranks, and here's Cody, born in the 90s. So he's a young guy that's uh, learning the business still. But he's so talented that he's right in the middle of the business. And Robbie, you you know him really well. What? How well do you know Mr. Webster? I know him pretty doggone well. You know, we kind of started in the same ranks from the IPRA rodeos. He did the IFR uh, 
as I did. And then he went right on up to the pros and, and man, he took off and what a, what a wonderful guy. You know, what we're talking about is, is using the spread here and judging we're using it at this episode too. We got the young and the old, this guy does not act like he's young. He, he's such a great veteran now and seven times to the NFR. He is destined for the Hall of Fame very soon. But what I really love the most is the way he's helping the, the younger guys because he's been down the road. He's seen it. You know, he started out a little bit, you know, in a hole as a kid. And, and man, he has just picked it up. And, and he's he's the yardstick of what the bullfighters are measured on now, you know, and uh, got his own fighting bulls, got his own program with those Mexican fighting bulls. And, uh, He's got a nice ranch there in Wayne, Oklahoma, and uh, what, Robbie, I love talking to him yeah. every week. Robbie, what about he's got a school, right? You know, you know anything about his school that he yes. has for bullfighters? Yes, um, and that goes back to just helping the young guys to carry on the tradition, you know, of bullfighting. Go to this school. It's amazing. He, he teaches. He gets it down on your level, puts you in front of the cattle that you, you know, of your ability and uh, Nevada, I think it'd be a good idea if you tried to go to one of those. I think you'd enjoy it. Maybe you'd go to a bullfighting school. Uh, the exercise would be great, no doubt fun. about it. You know, but I think that the thing that really comes to mind when we think about his pedigree, and it's very short, right? He, uh, I want to say he started the rodeo in, what, 2011? Um, that's, I mean, he's young, right? He's, this is less than 10 years. And here he is, accelerated the way he has. But I think that just like every bullfighter we've gotten to interview, there's this cool, calm demeanor to these guys and for the chaotic environment that they work in, you, know, you find out with every conversation, and just like with Cody, that there's strategy, there's the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. And you know, once again, you find this out through this conversation that that's no different with Cody. And you know, to your point, Robbie, he's definitely starting to kind of create an. I guess let's say he's raising the bar. There's guys coming with him, and you know, you, you think about bullfighters only and what's going on there. All these things attribute to a guy like Cody because of the youth, and uh, he's a millennial, right? Let's just put it out there. But he's yeah. one of those rodeo millennials, man, which I love. Those is, They come with such this entrepreneurial um, pedigree to what they're looking at and how they're using the rodeo business today. A lot of technology. Um, it's only help. Well, enjoy this episode, and up next, we got Rodeo News of the Week with Brylon Bentley. The Rodeo News of the Week. PRCA Stat of the Week. Three, the number of Cowboys with World Championships in four categories. Everett Bowman, all-around, steer wrestling, tie-down, and steer roping. Bill Linderman, all-around, bareback riding, steer wrestling, and saddle bronc riding. Trevor Brazil, all-around, team roping header, tie-down, and steer roping. Tie-down ropers, Corey Solomon, Catfish Brown, and King Pickett started a business. Royalty ID is a motivational influencer platform designed to promote positivity to all who come in contact with the team and the company. Luke Brown and Joseph Harrison might not be team roping partners, but they continue to win after the American as though they are. Birdwell Pro Rodeo allowing those to compete at a breakaway tie-down, bareback riding, and saddle bunk riding jackpot Saturday night in preparation for what might have been the first in a while. Rodeo schedules are being made. Cottonwood, California's open Mother's Day Sunday rodeo of 50 years was a huge success with stock contractor Jeff Davis of Four Star Rodeo. Rodeo was looking bright.
rodeo is about discipline, sacrifice, and perseverance. Every one of us doing their best to strive for excellence. Rodeo makes us resilient. It's our engine. And you've played a big part in that. You've empowered us, supported us, and allowed us to dream. In these incredible times, we are also reminded of the power of our communities. Looking out for one another and caring for those in need. Brighter days are ahead, and we look forward to spending our time with you. In the meantime, we'll spend our time hashtag alone together. And when the time comes, we'll be ready. And once again, we'll celebrate all the things that make us a community. We, we are our radio. Hi, I'm two-time world champion Tim O'Connell, and this is NFR Extra. Robbie Hodges, you know, we've had some pretty cool guests, but this one right here you know, takes a little bit of research because there's a lot going on with this individual, and I'm excited, man. Uh, you know, Bo Gardner suggested we bring this this uh, this gentleman on, and as he dove into what he does and what he, he's doing or still doing or doing it for the overall uh, rodeo and Western lifestyle, this is, man, we're bringing on a great guest here, Robbie. Yes, sir. Mr. Jack Roddy's with us right now, and uh, we're going to get to divvy off in his world a little bit and how it was back in the day. That's what's exciting to me about it. Yeah, so six-time world champ and pro rodeo Hall of Fame steer wrestler Jack Roddy coming on to the show. Welcome to NFR Extra, Jack. Well, thank you. I'm very much happy to be here. <laughs> nice. I bet you are. That's great. Something about rodeo right now is good, isn't it? I'm just glad to hear anything about it. <laughs> and that's the truth. Hey, Jack, let's get started. How did, let's just go back. You know, obviously you got a history of being in the business. How did you get involved in rodeo, Western lifestyle? Where did, where did everything begin, begin for Jack? My history goes way back to Ireland. My father was born and raised in Ireland. Paladrine County was common, and when he was a young man, the Irish were starving. His father moved, went to Butte, Montana to work in the mines to feed the family, and he got killed in the mines in Butte, and my dad had to quit in the fourth grade to feed the family. There was six of them on a 40-acre farm in Ireland, but he had an uncle that had moved to San Francisco and wrote back about the cowboys, the Indians, and this big ranch he had. And my father couldn't wait to get the hell out of Ireland because he loved the West. So he left Ireland at 18 years of age and got to San Francisco, had a fourth grade education, and through honesty and integrity, he bought a 12-stool beer and wine joint. And pretty soon that turned into four bars in San Francisco including the longest bar in the world on Fillmore Street. It was a city block long. And there he met our first world champion. His name was Charlie McGinney. He's in the Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. 
and Charlie was our first world champion in 1929 uh, and 1930, steer roper, team roper. Got my dad interested in western riding. My father bought a little rodeo grounds in Coma in South San Francisco. When I was two years old, I used to ride my pony there. And again, I go back to all I ever wanted to be in my life was a cowboy. Eventually, he bought a ranch in San Jose, and that's where I was raised, in the foothills of San Jose, California, where I learned to ride, rope, compete, and whatever. How's that for a start? That's pretty good. I So who, who I, yeah. and I, man, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't want to beat this guy's name up. Explain a little bit more about, uh, you know, I know you just couldn't touch on, but the, the, the individual Charlie, is it Mangini? Is that right? Charlie Mangini, M-A-G-G-I-N-I. And records were kept from 1929 on, and he was our first world champion team roper and steer roper in 1929-1930. Now, pretty influential in getting you going, right? I mean, what, how did this guy impact kind of your overall uh, getting into the business? I mean, was it was he was he a stern well, guy? He got, I mean, he got involved with my father and kind of showed me how to ride a horse and teach me roping and and uh, I idolized the guy he was such a great cowboy that I wanted to I wanted to be a rodeo hand like he was so that's he was the one that kind of started me so I, I gotta throw this out Jack for, for uh, Robbie because he's sitting there going oh my goodness I'm actually talking to someone that you like this is some deep, deep history Alleged, right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely a ledge here. <laughs> so, hey, let's real quick, Jack, because I love going down your timeline. You, you entered your first rodeo at 14. Is that right? I entered my first rodeo when I was 14 years old at, at Gilroy, California, and I entered the wild horse race. And there was three of us. I did the riding, two other guys mugged and held a halter and I rode this wild horse around a track and I won $90 and that was the first money I ever won in rodeo was $90 and wild Holy horse cow. In California man <laughs> so and then okay so what made you get into just kind of understand this like so you're doing rodeo but what made you get into the military what like how did that kind of come about within this process my father and I didn't never did in our lives get along very well. He didn't want me to rodeo. He fought everything I did to be a rodeo hand, and and we got into an argument. And I I joined the Marine Corps, and I went all through boot camp, all through the tough stuff. But when I was a kid, I had a history of asthma, and at Camp Pendleton, I got asthma, so I got out of the got an honorable medical discharge from the Marines after going through boot camp and the toughest part. And that's how I got involved in, with the Marine Corps. And then at that oh, point, I uh, had worked and, and fighting with my father. But anyway, as time went on, I knew I had to get an education. And uh, Cotton Rosser was a, on the Cal Poly rodeo team. Cal Poly mm. University was a famous university for rodeo. And 10 years prior to my championships, uh, Cotton was a collegiate champion. So I went to Cal Poly. And in those days, 
if you were a veteran and took an aptitude test, you could enroll in a college. So I took an aptitude oh. test, and I was good enough to get into Cal Poly, where I got a uh, AA degree in animal husbandry, and then I competed for the Cal Poly rodeo team. And one of my proudest things, I think that record's still in existence, Pendleton, Oregon, at a college rodeo in 59, I won every event except one. I won the bull riding, the bareback riding, the bronc riding, the bulldogging, and the ribbon roping. And the sixth event was the calf roping. I won second in it. And that record still stands in college. Ain't gonna touch that. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny you is Tom Murray. Yeah. No, but it, but think about this. Tom Murray didn't touch that. No. <laughs> think about this too with Cal Poly. <laughs> um, I we you know we actually had Ben Londo on uh, back in the fall. You know he's <laughs> one of the main guys over there, Cal Poly now, and you know kind of learning more he's about. A with yeah. Oh. Oh. Really? Oh. Well. There. There you go. Yep. You did. Yeah. Yep. Ned Londo. Cool. Wow. So now I'm kind of getting this bigger timeline of history and how important I'm not saying that I didn't think this before, Jack, but with you talking about, well, first of all, you bring up Cotton Rosser, right? That's gigantic legend there. And then kind of understand your career, but then talking about Cal Poly. Now I'm starting to paint this picture of this hundred year history of what Cal Poly means to rodeo. How, what was the impact on you or how have you seen now? And we're going to jump all over the place, but the importance of Cal Poly to the rodeo business. What, like, how do you see that? I mean, that's because you're, you're back in the day with this. I spoke last year to Cal Poly during Poly Royal. There was 800 people there when I spoke. And when I spoke, I said, I think Cal Poly holds more champ world champions. I came out of Cal Poly and Hall of Famers from John Miller to John W. Jones Jr. To Chris oh, yeah. to it goes on and on the Hall of Famers and World Champions that came out of Cal Poly. But when I spoke, I said, when I went to Cal Poly, I didn't go there to learn. I went there to rodeo because that's what I, Cal Poly was noted for. And But when I did go to Cal Poly, I did learn. And over the years, the impact Cal Poly had from John Lacey became the president of the National Cattlemen to... Uh, Monty Roberts wrote the leading best-selling book in Europe. John Madden, the football coach, went Cal Poly at my era. Greg Ward was one of the leading horsemen in California. So Cal Poly's impact had a tremendous impact on not only rodeo, the horse and the beef industry. So very interesting. Well, here's what's um, I want. Okay, so and I, I'm bringing all these things up because you are you're a lot of Americana, Jack. So how did you get involved? This is kind of like we're going to take a quick right turn. How did you get in, in, in dealing with the Disney side of things and the film business? How did that, How I mean, you're doing all this rodeo. Where does that fit into this whole business? I uh, worked for a rodeo contractor when I got out of college named Ray Coors. And we had a bunch of bucking horses in King City. And a movie producer named Larry Landsberg was doing a movie was a true story about a jumping horse. Won an Academy Award, in fact, a documentary called The Horse of the Flying Tail. So Slim Pickens, we came out to the ranch. That year I had a, it was rainy, I had an old black hat and a weather jacket and 
showing them all these, we needed some Palomino bucking horses for this part of the film. So make a long windy story short, I showed them all the horses. And that spring, the film crew came out, and the director said, uh, oh, the director asked me, he says, can you ride? And I said, yeah, I can ride anything. Can you rope? I said, damn right, I can rope. He said, you'd be ideal for the part. So that spring, they showed up at the ranch, and I had a nice silver belly hat and, and a white shirt. And the, <laughs> the director said, where's that cowboy I talked to? I said, that's me. <laughs> he said, you don't look like a cowboy. So Slim Pickens had to get me an old pair of bat wing shaps and an old beat-up hat. And I rode this bucking horse in that scene. His name was Nautical. Tremendous movie. Won an Academy Award in, I believe, 62. Watch that tonight. All right, so first of all, uh, you just... I got something I can watch. You know what, Robbie? He just elevated the NFR Extra podcast because now we're talking to a guy that's uh, what, who's been a part of an Academy Award here. Uh, that's that. You just elevated yes. us, Jack, with just that, that there was uh, story. An, there was another movie we Thank did you. that won an Academy Award. It was called A Great American Cowboy. Favorite movie film, of all time. I know exactly what you're talking about. In that film, I bulldogged in that film. And that story was about a bull that we owned called Oscar. It was bucked 200 and something times and never ridden. And that movie was about Larry Mahan, Phil Lyon, and the unrideable bull Oscar. And it also won an Academy Award as the best documentary picture. That was about 1972. Wow, man! Uh, Jack, a great horse at the beginning of that is why I ride bareback horses. That so, is, if you've never seen that movie, you have to watch. Oh, it. I've that seen it. Started me riding bareback horses. Yeah, yeah. that gray yeah. horse at the beginning, Jack. And hey, that, you betcha! What well, I do her well. <laughs> yeah, did you? Steve Cox That's so. Rode her, Selena. Wow! Wow! She was a rank no kid. That is awesome. All right, so we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting the seventies. Let's back up, man, because your your career is pretty cool, Jack. Um, let's go back to the early sixties. How you got involved? Now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're. There's a lot of things you're touching base with being an athlete, being a champion, going, you know, grab some Academy Awards, why not? But then you got to the. How did you get involved with jumping on board with? Back then it was RCA. Today it's PRCA. How did you get involved with? being a uh, board of director and how did you get, how'd you get in all that? Like, where did, where did that come about? I was a spokesman for the RCA. Bill Linderman signed for my RCA card and they appointed me a spokesman in California. <clears throat> and that year, the, I think this was 1960, 61. And they wanted me to run for, for steer wrestling director. Uh, so I ran for steer wrestling director that year and I won it. And then I served on the RCA board for, I think, 16 years as either steer wrestling director or vice president. I served under President Dale Smith, and I also served, uh, I mean, his vice president. I also served for Clem McSpadden as his vice president. So I served 16 years as an RCA representative. Man, what? I mean, Jack. Cool people, Dave. Yeah. But, I mean, think about this, Robbie. I mean, like. For like Jack, you're pretty important to rodeo. That's what I'm starting to find out right now. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> makes me feel good. It does my ego a lot of good, but I've enjoyed this sport all my life. I love the rodeo business. And I've acquired so many friends, and everything I got today, I look back at the rodeo business, everything, including 
the ranch I've got, people I met and doors that had it open for me. Yeah. So that's, that's an awesome tribute. Yeah, absolutely. It is. So clearly this is the NFR extra podcast is about, you know, touch a lot of things with rodeo industry, Western lifestyle. And we're talking about an NFR. How, what was it like when you made your first NFR back then? Where, where, what, uh, where was it? How did it feel? And kind of. Well, the first, the first national finals was at Dallas, Texas in 1959 and 60. And it flopped. <laughs> then they moved it to Los Angeles, the LA sports arena. And I competed. I made my first NFR in 1962 in Los Angeles. And you could have shot a shotgun off and didn't hit hit anybody. (laughs) And that year I placed in a go-around. I think a go-around, I think I, I forget what I want. I think go-arounds paid $200. And then uh, I went to Hawaii in 1965. And I won the steer wrestling in Hawaii, which was the first rodeo of the year. And I won the steer wrestling. I won $600. But technically, I was the lead for the world championship. So I decided if, I'm going to see if I can win the world. And that year I traveled. And that year I set a, a record at, I think, 22,000. And I competed at Oklahoma City then, the finals was held. And I won the finals at Oklahoma City. And that year was an eight-head bulldog. And I believe I placed on four of them. And I won uh, $1,700. On today's market, I'd have won probably 150000 But then I won 1700 and was tickled to death. Oh, man, that is awesome. So, then, so I won the championship, and then I quit. I went to work. I uh, went in the bar business. My father and I got into an argument halfway through the year. I got mad, and I said, I'm going to go win it again. He said, you can't do it, and I said, hell, I won't. And I won it the second time and set a record at 29000 or 28000 And that's then I retired uh, from from going hard. Then I competed on weekends, and, and I made a few more national finals. I think I went to seven national finals. Where was your last one, at Oklahoma City at the fairgrounds? Is that when they Oklahoma City at the fairgrounds in Oklahoma City. Now, that's a neat old building, isn't it? That's, that's really cool. I went down there one time and looked around. You know those old bucket chutes are still underneath there? When I did the IFR one year, I snuck around that corner there to get dressed, and that old that old set of bucket chutes is still yeah. down there underneath that. Isn't that yeah, I remember, we, I remember Oklahoma City. There was a big, a big crowd originally in Oklahoma City. But over the years, as board members, we all worked hard and promoted it. Till eventually it was full, and then it moved in Vegas, I think, in 85 or 86. Mm-hmm. So how what, but let's go back to Oklahoma because, you know, before it came to Vegas and there was, there was some heydays there. There was, I think this is where NFR became amplified, right? The rodeo was important to just the rodeo folks, but mm-hmm. I think Oklahoma, I don't think gets enough credit, at least from what I've learned, you know, Vegas gets a lot of credit for this amplification of the, of the NFR, but we're at that one point there must've been just, just absolute fandom going on in Oklahoma. How was it like during those times? Uh, as it was, it was really kind of set in foot in Oklahoma. How, how were those NFRs back then? Well, when it first moved to Oklahoma city, the crowds weren't very big, 
but we all promoted it. Clem McSpadden was a senator from Oklahoma, was got heavily involved in it, and all of us worked like hell to promote uh, Oklahoma City. The Chamber of Commerce got involved, and years later, before Vegas, it had, they had a full crowd. It was full, and Oklahoma City was very proud of the NFR. They hated uh, losing the national finals to Vegas. Oklahoma City. Well, I could see that. I mean, just being around the rodeo culture like I've been, I mean, losing in anything is something that a, that a rodeo guy or gal is not going to stomach very well. I mean, there's, I could see that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the myriad years where, yeah. So, Jack, I, so, uh, you've brought your father up a few times. It sounds like, because Robbie and I go round and round on this with a lot of people that come on to this show. Sounds like there was a, yeah. a little, there was a lot of electricity going with your, you and your dad's relationship. I mean, how, and we find out through the, through these conversations that while, while things may have been, uh, it's kind of like putting metal to metal or grinding metal to metal. It sounds like there was a, a relationship here that, that developed over time. Can you, can you touch on kind of your, you and your father's relationship? Of, yeah, I will. Of, you know, but you, uh, I'm Irish, full-blooded Irish. So you understand <laughs> Irish fight, no matter what. Yep. And father and son, he didn't want me to rodeo. He, uh, I remember one time, Buster Ivory was a famous rodeo fan, knew my father well, came to our ranch in San Jose, and I'm bulldogging a steer, and the steer turned to flip and, and broke my ribs, and I'm laying out in the arena, and a hazer looked at me and said, you would make a pimple in a cowboy's butt. <laughs> And I wanted to get up to whip him, but I didn't have any air. Years later, Buster Ivory flagged the bulldogging at Salinas. And I won the bulldogging, and he wrote up, he said, I wish that Pete Dixon was alive who made that comment. I wouldn't make a pimple in the cowboy's butt. But um, I'm losing my strain of thought where I was going with this one. All good. But my dad uh, was very successful was well-known in San Francisco. He had the longest bar in the world one time. When they opened the Golden Gate Bridge, they rode 56 horses in that bar at one time. It was a city block long in San Francisco, famous bar. And he was well-known and well-respected. And I was just known as John Roddy's kid. But that year I went to Oklahoma City and I won the finals, won the average, won the world championship, and suddenly, he was Jack Roddy's dad. Because I, I, I made my way. Nobody handed it to me. And I was proud of that. From then on, my father and I got along. So, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I, I have a very similar relationship with my dad. I mean, he's passed away. But, um, you know, what, a lot of the theme, Jack, within a lot of our interviews on the podcast <laughs> Robbie, you can jump in once. I mean, once I'm done here, I mean, like you, I know you can add to this, but kind of the relationships and right. definitely with the the sons and fathers, how important you know that relationship is. Whether or not it's 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 uh, let's say sunny and bright, right, or uh, cloudy and and thundery and, and kind of constant uh, storms and whatnot. There's an importance there that if you remove that element, these maybe yourself or the other individuals that we've talked to don't necessarily get to become, you know, them themselves basically along that process. I mean, is there, is there some uh, truth to that? Years later when my father 
I was getting Alzheimer's, and he couldn't do a lot. I looked at him, and I said, and I told the family, I said, my father's the one that made me. He didn't do it by pampering me. The more he tried to stop me, the more I tried and to win. So he's the one that put the gravel in my gut and the spit in my eye was my father, who did make it tough on me. But as I went through life, thank God he did. Let's take a little break. We'll be back in two minutes. Thanks for listening to the NFR Extra podcast, and make sure to give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to NFR Extra. Every December during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, thousands of rodeo fans call Las Vegas home. Families and friends gather to strengthen bonds and celebrate our Western heritage. But we'll do it only when it's safe for you, our fans and contestants, because that's all that matters. We know you can't travel right now or be around others, but when it's time, we'll be ready. This is the NFR. This is Vegas. Hi, I am Benny Butler, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Hey, so in these years when you were traveling and, and, and doing all, I, I got to know because I love some of the old rodeo movies like what we were talking about. What was your what was your pickup truck? You know, I mean, what did you, I mean, did you have an inline trailer? What, what was your, what, what was days, your mode of transportation? In those days, I just had an Oldsmobile with a, a two-horse trailer I traveled in. The year I won the championship the first time, I traveled with Walt Linderman, and he had a, a camper and a two-horse trailer. And the second championship, I traveled a lot with John W. Jones, and uh, we had a, a camper and a trailer, but we also had a 206 Cessna. So we flew to quite oh. a few rodeos. I tell a story one time. I was at Sydney, Iowa. I went to competed at three Sydneys in a 18-hour period in three different states. I competed I know. in Sydney, Iowa in the afternoon, jumped in a plane with Mayhan and flew to Sydney, Nebraska that night, yep. Bulldog, and then jumped in his plane next morning and flew to Sydney, Montana. Went to three Sydneys in 18 hours. That's how I used to... Oh my gosh, that's funny, Jack. Because a few years, well, I've got Sydney, Iowa this year, and Sydney, Nebraska, both of them this year. So, and I thought I was doing good with two of them. There's no way I could ever (laughs) even think about the other one. I thought I was doing something. (laughs) That's a lot of Sydney, and you know, Sydney, (laughs) Iowa was big into doing the. in the Great American Cowboys movie, there's a lot of footage from Sydney, Iowa. Yes, and, sir. Uh, you know, that's a lot of it yeah. filmed there. Were you actually there during that time? When they filmed that? Yes, you sir. Remember the, you remember the sequence when the Mexican rode Oscar? Oh, yeah. That it, was a sequence <laughs> that we had, RSC, had, we had 11 bulls at the national finals one year. And we had some rank bulls, and I had a bar in San Jose, and a bunch of charros came in. This was 1970-something. Tallman was announcing then, and they came into my bar, and they wanted to rent some of my good bulls. I said, you can't ride our good bulls. They laughed at me. We got a guy never been bucked off. His name was Alia Sariola, Malisco, Mexico. And I said, really? I got a bull never been rode. Long, windy story short. We bet 5000 
And the great American cowboy, I called Keith Merrill, and he sent the film crew out, and we filmed it. I reeled the last of a second and a half. I went to the bank next day and got $5,000. Oh, wow. I, you know, um, on that... That same story. I have to ask you since I have somebody here because it's it's very interesting to me. Who was the was that Bobby T? Was the he is going to attempt to ride the great bull Oscar? <laughs> you remember that guy announcing? That was the coolest part of that. He is going to. He is from Mexico and he's never ever been ridden. And this guy's well, that, never been bucked off. Who was that? No, this was Elias Ariola. He wasn't an announcer. No, no, no. I mean, the guy announcing that. Who was the was guy Bob announcing Coleman. that? I Coleman. knew it. Bobby's young days. You have to hear that. That is the coolest announcing I've ever heard. And I remember he, y'all showed him the watch on that TV show. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And he rode two-handed. They allowed he him to try to ride two-handed, too. He had a sombrero on, and he had loose rowels, and we made the yeah. bed. I knew I had him because the sombrero weighed 40 pounds. On a spinning bull, that's like having a piano tied to your head and lose rolls on a, on a bull. I knew I had that bet won. Uh, he never got his oil hot, did he? <laughs> that is awesome. But we know who did ride the great bull, Oscar. You know who's famous for riding the great bull, Oscar? Donnie who? Gay. Donnie Gay. Gay rode him. He rode him, at, mm-hmm. he rode him at the Cow Palace. I also got a picture of him bucking Donnie Gay off at home. Uh, but Donnie Gay, I think Mark 97 on him. Yep. And he also bucked Donnie Gay off at the Cow Palace. Oh, boy. Hmm. That is so awesome. Did he, um, yeah, and he rode him with one hand. <laughs> and he'll tell you <laughs> that, so, too. So Donnie <laughs> rode him with one hand. But that was on, later on in his career. Oscar was bucked sure. something like 200 times and never ridden. And when they did ride him, when he jumped out of a chute, he drew 180 degrees, and he turned back and hit his head on the on a post and stunned him. The <laughs> times they did ride him, but he was ranked. Oh, wow. I think they rode him three or four times, and then we retired him. He stayed on my home ranch here for two years, and we built the Hall of Champions in Colorado Springs. I believe in '79, we sent Oscar back there, and he was on display with uh, Descent at the Hall of Champions. In oh, wow. Does he, um, did you get any good calves out of Oscar back then? I mean, did, did any of them, was he a good, like a breeding bull? Dale Smith and I own this ranch. We've been the president of the RSA, one of my dearest friends. We bought this ranch in California, had Oscar here, and I bred some cows to him and got four heifers and... I think times were tough, and we didn't realize how big this breeding program was going to be, and I sold them. That was a big mistake. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, man. But you know, you know, it's strange about that. Like Bodacious was a freak of nature, similar to that bull. You know, and never got a lot of good calves out of him. And uh, yeah, but, but he was famous enough without any babies on the ground. I promise well, you. Well, they got one calf, with the highest mark ride ever. Made a rodeo was done on a son of Oscar's Wolfman, a guy named Wade Leslie in Oregon, marked a perfect 100 on an Oscar calf. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and a lot of 
a lot of the groundy breeding uh, is it comes goes back to Oscar. Donnie, we, we I think we spent yeah about yeah during the rodeo we had um, Donnie on on the podcast in our trailer and he's probably spent about a good ten minutes talking about Oscar, which is a long time in a conversation. And the more research oh, I found, yeah. yeah, I mean it makes more sense for, for sure. Hey Jack, let's talk about let's let's also, fast. Uh, let's say, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Well, that's all. I was just going to say, John Growney, You remember that was a lot yep. of his, you know, with some of his bulls that got him started with Wolfman and all them guys and Kish and that whole deal. That was yeah. he bought RSC. Yep, you remember him talking about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When the RSC started, Bob Cook, Jack Roddy, and Jack Sparrick formed RSC, Rodeo Stock Contractors. We had Oakland Coliseum, Salinas. We had about thirty rodeos. But after a few years, Sparrick and I decided to get out. And Cook then took it over, and then he sold it to Growney. So Growney bought the original RSA. Mm. Man. Has uh, it all together, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. All this history. No, I, so one of the I want to talk about, mm-hmm. let's, let's fast forward. You know, we're bringing up Donnie, and we're kind of transitioning to kind of trying to stay with the decades here. So now we're in the 80s. How, how did you see or, or your thoughts and feeling on – you know, because clearly there, there's documentaries, there's books, there's many conversations about the NFR going from Oklahoma to Vegas. Where were you at, and what were you thinking about how that was all going down, Jack? When 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 the votes were coming in, and Sean was the deciding factor, and how'd you feel about it coming to Vegas and leaving Oklahoma? I I honestly I was opposed to honestly because I don't think they gave Oklahoma City a fair shot bidding on it, on the NFR. And I felt they slighted the people in Oklahoma City that worked so hard to build it up, even though the best place in the world is Vegas and it's been highly successful. When it went to Vegas, I was opposed to it because of the, of the people in Oklahoma City that tried so hard to make it work. That was my opposition. Uh, those people tried so hard and build it up and then suddenly they lost it according to Oklahoma City the, the bidding was not straight but that's near the here to there yeah well I mean Actually, yeah it's good I, to hear a different side of that because uh, yeah everybody you know or a good many of them have said that we're well you know we we wanted it moved we wanted this one glad to hear somebody else with an opposing view of that that's it yeah. that's very interesting I mean look at the end of the day you got to think about how special the NFR is and, and what it's become. And, and it makes sense. You know, you don't like, for instance, right now I've, you know, I'm 40 something years old and I've pretty much have grown up with the NFR being here in Vegas. And, and I was very fortunate to get a job 20 years ago, working with the NFR, working with Sean Davis for the past 20 years. And I, I agree with you, Jack, right now, if we had, if let's say for instance, you know, we got to battle this thing out for a contract five years from now, my God, it would it would gut me for this thing to leave here in Vegas now, you know, and how special it's been and the work we've put leave, in. It'll know? never leave Vegas. The only good place for it is Vegas. and highly successful. There were, a few years ago, there was an attempt to move it. That was all political. But it belongs in Vegas. It's the only place for it. It's been tremendously successful. I watch it today, and every evening I watch going back past couple of years on the Cowboy Channel I watched the NFR and I, uh, it's such a tremendous rodeo they've done it yeah so when have you okay so do you not come to Vegas anymore for the NFR well the reason I'm getting older and 
beat up. I've got some back problems and rib problems. I've been there for five or six years. So I quit going because I'm, I'll be pushing 83 anymore and I can't take the bright lights and the, and the problem I have down there, I got Sony, my old friends and new friends and, I get down there and I hell I can't move. I just sit there talking all day. I can't really enjoy it, but but hopefully maybe this year uh, I'll be able to go down there and spend a day or two. So, all right, where clearly you were coming in the eighties and nineties. Where's where's a couple of your favorite spots that you would um, hotel wise stay at, and maybe some good restaurants that that you visited. I used to go down when I when I knew Benny Benyon. Benny Benyon used to come to. Oklahoma City, and I knew Benny, and I used to go have dinner at Benny's, and and once in a while I'd stay at Benny Benyon's, uh, but other than that, I just, whatever, rodeo historical societies have different hotels they use, so whatever hotel they decided upon is where I'd go. Yeah, so, man, so you're part of the whole Gold Buckle group uh, hanging out. The um, Yes, yeah. Yes. And that's just, you know, we're actually, yeah, you know, we're working on a, um, another edition of this podcast called, uh, NFR let or actually rodeo legends. And, you know, we're going to take compile folks all the way back in the day, kind of the, I wouldn't be surprised if we had you to this, this, uh, Jack, but you know, really what we want to do is tell the story of, you know, the legends and do it in a way through a podcast. So you listen to it. Right. And there's, there's commentary, there's backup of stuff and, yeah, it's just, I mean, and Roster's one of them. You know, Cotton's one of the guys that we're bringing up. Facts, we had him on the podcast. Yep. Oof, man, last year I think it was. Um, yeah, he's a two legend. Yeah. So uh, how, how have you seen Rodeo, and this is kind of, I know this is a, kind of a longer kind of broad question, but how do you like how Rodeo was back when you were riding and, and where is it, where it's going right now? How do, you, how do you feel as a fan? How do you like what's happened to Rodeo? I think rodeo has done a hell of a job, and uh, I admire these young fellows. It's a kind of a different ball game from my era. We we used to like to train on whiskey and fist fights, and <laughs> the rodeo hands were good then. So never cut the old hands short. I remember Casey Tibbs and all the rodeo greats, John Jones, and on and on. Uh, today's cowboys are they're athletes, more of athletes. We were more ranch raised. Today they're athletes. They train. They uh, they through schools. When I went to rodeo, there was no such thing as schools or machines. Today they got bucking machines and training aids and so forth. And I look. I wasn't a veteran until I was about 28 years old. Last year at the finals of boy 21 years old won the world championship. It's amazing. Oh, what about the young people? that are getting involved in the sport. They learn. They go through junior rodeo, high school rodeo, college rodeo. And when they get out of college, they're old veterans. And in my day, <laughs> No, I, I can imagine not. Hey, I got to ask you, since you talk about the olden days and stuff, um, I don't know if Nevada, if you've ever seen this, but there is a picture on a Sports Illustrated magazine that comes up every once in a while on my Facebook where there is a guy bulldogging. I think it might be at Cheyenne or somewhere, and he is bulldogging a 1,200-pound Hereford. Have you ever seen that picture, Jack, of that guy? The steers were huge. Well, I bulldogged Cheyenne. 
I won Cheyenne, I think, in 1970. They used big steers, but nothing that size, 1,200 pounds. That don't sound right to me. That's no, this thing see. was enormous. No, it's a picture, and I'll have to find it. You can look it up. It's an old 70s Sports Illustrated, and uh, a lot of guys have seen it. And they are, I mean, nowadays, you know, these, these 450, 500-pound steers, this thing, I he, I don't know if he's swelling, but he sure looks it. He's a fat guy, and, yeah, and I'm watching him bulldog this thing. Good lord, they were huge. Yeah, he wouldn't and, be twelve hundred uh, pounds. But he wouldn't <laughs> no, be. but I mean, they were, he was a big boy. Well, to me, he looks it. You know, every one of them are twelve hundred pounds. I'm working in a barrel, but the this guy, this steer was so fat and huge. Do you, is there been a difference in the cattle now? Tremendously, all used to have tremendous, to do? Mm-hmm. tremendously in the cattle because. When I bulldogged at Oklahoma City, we used fresh steers, never been touched. They were big Herefords, and they weighed probably 650, maybe 700. Jeez. They were big steers. Today, okay, but well, we'll go with that, yeah. <laughs> with a small rate in Vegas, they're using little light 400-pound steers that have all been bulldogged, and the calves today are a lot smaller. Where I remember Selena's calves weighed 350 pounds. Today, the calves are light, so the size of the cattle have really changed. Mm. 600 pounds, man. I, um, hold on. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this, Jack and Robbie. Like, we've done this before, but I always, this is where Jack, and I'll even throw Robbie in there, right? He, you know, he's, he's the barrel guy, but he's, he's rode and done this. But on the side of when we're talking about steers and calves and whatnot, and once you get up in the well above 200 plus. I don't care what weight it is when you start going up that rate. What you guys are able to do, first of all, ride a horse, which I've ridden, but I ain't no cowboy. Riding that horse the way you do within the timing you have to. We're, we're, we're talking under easily under 10 seconds. And just we're kind of just being honest there. And then you're jumping off or you're jumping down and you're pulling close to six, five, 300, whatever. And you're doing it within seconds. You know, I... I'm still fascinated. Right. It, it doesn't get enough love. And to hear Jack talk about, mm, you know, oh, well, 600 pounds. That is some serious weight, well, Jack. Let me, let, me give you, let me give you an idea. Yeah. I have some young bulldoggers used to come out the ranch, and I've got the first televised broadcast of Salinas Rodeo in 1960. I just got out of college in 59, and I bulldogged there at Salinas. And Salinas used to be a four-hitter, one every day. And that year, I went to the finals on Sunday, and on forehead, I was 77 seconds. In other words, I averaged about 26, 27 seconds on every one of them. And your steers in at Salinas were huge. The arena is 130 feet longer then than today. And <laughs> every... Every 40 feet, your feet had hit the ground with those big steers. <laughs> Today, they're throwing them in five and six. So that's oh, yeah. Yeah. my era versus today. Well, you know, Jack, we talked that about is. that with O'Berry. You know, so we were talking about how when they moved in the Thomas Mack Center, and then there was other arenas kind of with that intimate feel, but he said it really changed the sport because here all of a sudden, you don't have very far to go because if you do, you're in the wall and you got to pull down that steer within yeah. seconds. He said that really started to change yeah. the timing of stuff. I mean, how yeah. how was that, how was that is for you to see that from a from a kind of guy that used to do that? How I mean, did you, were you well, happy you that to, was yeah. happening? 
Well, you have to use little light steers. They use at my era, if they run those steers at Vegas, why well, hell, they bounce them off the back wall because that arena's <laughs> yeah. bad in Vegas. Oklahoma City was a big arena. So today they have yeah, to have yeah. these little light steers. They precondition them so they're all thrown down uh, to make it a rapid event. So they have to do that. You know, uh, yes, it, I don't think... It changed. Yeah, talked about that. Absolutely, but I don't think it gets enough attention. When you start thinking about, you know the breakdown of sports, any sport, right? Uh, baseball, any of these things, the the changing of, or even basketball, right? Adding the three-point line or adding a clock and making things faster. When you start speeding up the human being, that's when you start seeing kind of this next level where things, well, hell, we were just talking to Cody Webster and he was talking about, this is kind of silly, Jack, but you know, back in the day with motorcycles 20 years ago, which isn't that long ago for some people, they were just doing a backflip on a motorcycle. Whereas today they're doing four backflips and they're doing f- two front flips, which was unthinkable 20 years ago. So I started at Thomas Mack Center and I think the NFR in Vegas doesn't get enough when it talks about the true competition, how things change so quickly and made kind of, I made more of the athlete give you guys a lot more love. I mean, would you agree with that? Yes. Man, yes. man, I, First of all, I never knew you guys were throwing around 600 pounds. Seriously. <laughs> wow. Well, Salinas, Salinas, I've, I'll bet so years ago, someone weighed 700. Jeez. And they're going, and it's a huge arena with a 30-foot score. They got a 30-foot head start. And years ago, you go down that arena of Salinas, and your feet had hit the ground about every 40, 50 feet. So it's a different world today. They're lighter steers. They've been used, and they throw them in six, seven, Wow. 26, 27. So, world of difference. Yeah. Either way, either way. Tip of the resist all. I don't care what, like, whether it's small and fast and flipping or big and, you know, got to take a little bit of time. That's a hell of a sport, man. I got you. Yeah, seriously. And I'll tell you. They didn't travel in air conditioning. No. You know, I mean, when they traveled back then, it was in the back of a camper shell. Yeah. You, know, you didn't get carbon monoxide, <laughs> you know. I remember one time we left Gladewater, Texas, with Walt Linderman in the back of a camper. There was four of us, and we stopped at Strong City, Kansas, by Bulldog to steer there. And then we're heading to Wyoming someplace, and I woke up out of the camper to pay my entry fees, and I looked out. It was a big desert, and it was Dixon, Wyoming. I went to pay my entry fees. I said, where the hell am I at? Dixon, Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all night. In the yeah. back of a camper. Yeah, back of a camper. And you just kept driving and find out where the next rodeo was and just keep going. So, Jack, I, I want to touch on this. single cabin in a lot. Yeah. Yep. So, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about, you know, your Irish uh, fighting, which I love, man. I, I kind of, my, we're whales, my family. And my a lot of my family comes out of Iowa. And my dad was a tough SOB, but you know what today, a lot of these guys we interview, you know, there's a lot of regimens they do to take care of their bodies, their health, their minds. Some of them don't drink. Um, how, <laughs> what was your secret sauce to keeping Jack healthy and, and uh, competing through the years when you did, what, what was the regimen? Well, I always, uh, I always did exercise. Even in college, <clears throat> I used to run and I used to box at Cal Poly and, Went to the boxing gym, and so I used to stay in shape. Even to this, to this day, I, as old as I am, 
I still try to work out. So I always did work out, weights and, and running. So I always tried to keep in shape. Nice. It's good to hear. I like that. I, it's yeah. pre- pretty rare that someone says, I didn't do anything. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. You can't be at his level even back then without it. I mean, yeah. probably a little more whiskey involved. <laughs> like you said earlier, what'd you call it? Whiskey <laughs> oh, yeah. in That's a great rodeo story right there, buddy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's me. Hey, Jack, let's I talk about been there when you got. Oh my goodness, I, this man, we could talk for days with Jack. I, I'm already. This is fantastic. I one of the yeah. things I want you to talk about, Jack. Though you you got a book out there. It's just so you know we got people listening, and I want to make sure they know. We we'll always like to do this for the people who come on because they got some sort of business or something, not necessarily selling, but something that you know that I think is important to that individual. Can you talk a little about your book? I hope you guys read that book because it's. Uh... It's a very interesting book. It's been a hell of a, a bestseller. I've been here at the ranch, people bringing books out and autographs. Uh, but anyway, it's called Wrestling the World. You can be gotten on Amazon. Uh, Mike Servey called me the other day and said, I just got a copy of that book, and I couldn't put it down. But it tells all. I got involved heavily with uh, law enforcement, FBI on animal rights stuff, and and we can't, we don't, you don't have the time to interview me with all that stuff. But read the book. It's an interesting book. It's called Wrestling the World. Yeah, definitely. It's on Amazon. And I'm not, didn't do this for money. This gal went to Cal Poly, heard all my stories, and spent four years, toured all over the country, went to Rossers, went to Texas. And I, when you write this book, people won't believe it. But I want it factual. And she did do that. And it just came Very out. Interesting three weeks ago and it's been a hit this book called wrestling the world. Well, I, you know, after talking to you, it's rodeo, it's law enforcement. It's a whole variety of different things in that book. Nice. I'm diving into our next thing. When we get to talking about some subjects, you know, uh, auto, you know, we we were talking about this one day about having some subjects with the animal, you know, we'll get to see a law enforcement side of it. Oh my goodness. That'd be great to have him back. When you read, when you read read that, you won't believe part of it. In fact, you heard of the Unabomber. Yep. Mm -hmm. Remember him? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) The FBI agent, if you ever watch it on TV, the FBI agent that arrested Krasinski is going to be at my house here tomorrow. His name is <laughs> no Max kid. Cole. All fact. Wow. Oh, that's and awesome. And if you're in that book, yeah. you'll see his name. And he's the FBI guy that arrested uh, Krasinski. Ed. And I work with mm-hmm. the FBI, but don't let's not get into all the all day talking oh, about it's all okay. That. Oh, that's good. I no. think we need another segment with it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But that part is interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, Jack. It's great talking to you. Yeah, yeah. seriously. This was, I mean, we we're almost going on an hour, man. And this is, this is fantastic. We got to bring you back on. Uh, definitely going to read the book. I'm actually piling up some books and through all quarantine here at the house. So been taking some time reading, but I'll add that to the list. Uh, got a nice little Amazon service. This Jack, this was fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. Yes, it was. More than welcome. I enjoyed it. And you guys doing a lot of good for the sport. Again, I'm, I've loved the rodeo business. I've loved what I've done all my life, and I just wish I could redo it again, but that won't happen. But you guys doing a good job, and 
down the road. I hope to meet you in Vegas maybe this fall. Yeah, uh, same you here, Jack. believe it. I'd sure love to. Yeah, be safe, be healthy, man. Thank and you so much. God, thank you. This was fantastic. Learned a lot today. Okay, you guys. To celebrate the 35th anniversary of the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas, LVE and PRCA present the top 35 most memorable moments. How can you have an NFR Greatest Moments conversation without three-time world champion bull rider Tuff Hiedemann? His friendship with the late Lane Frost inspired a movie, but Tuff also stacked up the accolades in the arena. Tuff won his first world title in 1986. Lane Frost, his only world championship in 1987, but Tuff won the NFR average title that year. When Lane Frost was tragically killed in the summer of 1989, Tuff fought through a rough season and finished the year with a second world championship. Most important ride Tuff has right now of this week, maybe of the entire year, comes down to one bull again. The Thomas and Mack crowd went crazy that year when Tuff rode his round 10 bull eight seconds to seal the deal and then another eight for his late friend. Yes, sir. Tough Edelman is going to be tough. <laughs> Hedeman rode bulls at 12 NFRs, including 11 trips to Las Vegas, and he won a third world championship in 1991. Richard Tough Hedeman was inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 1997. Hi there, I'm Frank Thompson from Cheyenne Frontier Days, and you are listening to NFR Extra. Here we go, rocking Robbie Hodges, man. Um, once again, bringing on one of your friends, kind of from the guys uh, that work from the down on the dirt and seeing everything from a 360 view and, you know, and saving lives and, and um, making people happy and, and just showing out all about uh, absolute athleticism. Doing it the right way, yeah. man. He, he is one of them that does it the right way. Every picture that I have that's really cool, my wall hangers, it's got this guy working that barrel with me, and uh, there's none other right now. He is the hottest bullfighter in the country, most sought after, voted more times to do rodeos, NFRs, PBR finals. None of I've got to introduce him, too. He's, he's one of my best friends. Cody Webster's with us right now. Can you believe this? We get Cody Webster today. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Oh man, just hey, hanging out. Nevada. Good to. We're good. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah, thank you. You bet, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, let's not get too wild on here, Robbie. Like we got to keep it rated and 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 in the right direction, where whoever's listening can actually learn a little bit instead of uh. Just covering their ears. <laughs> I know, I know. I'll behave if you'll behave. You always behave, but I'm in the adult, grown-up version of podcast now, and it's a little strange for you me. Just, you you know, just remember, uh, you just remember, if you get out of line, that night, I you know. know. I go with you with that jersey and piece the heck out of you. I don't want to. I don't want to go there again, dude. I had you right where I wanted you. <laughs> I had you right where I wanted you on the ground, kicking yeah. me in the gut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll awesome. get into that story in a little bit. Don't you worry. All right. Folks, today we're just going to get to dive into Cody Webster world, and it is going to be so much fun. 
in my opinion, the, the, the safest and the warmest blanket I'll ever be in that clown barrel is with Cody Webster. Cody, tell us a little bit about where you got started and, and how the whole bullfighting deal came. You know, let's, who are your predecessors, the guys that you look into the most? Well, I mean, you know, looking back on like day one, uh, you know, like, like a question that comes up all the time and something that is always brought to my attention is like, well, man, what, what day did you, you know, decide to be a bullfighter or what day, what inspired you? What, what, what day was that? And like, to be honest, there wasn't that day. Uh, it's something that, I mean, like my mom, you know, like we all rodeoed and, and different stuff and, and my mom and everybody ran barrels. My dad then rode bulls. So I was around the sport, you know, before I was even born. But, uh, mm-hmm. off of that, you know, the thing is, is, is like, I, you know, mom would find me in the bathroom, uh, trying to paint my face. So I could kind of, uh, always oh, wear wow. baggy clothes and, and running through, you know, when I was just a tiny baby. So, uh, it, it's something that's been, uh, I think it was, it was meant to be, you know, I, I really do. I think the good Lord, uh, put me, put me here to, to serve him, but to, to be a bullfighter and do the things that I've got to do. And, you know, I mean, this is with that being said, you know, you can look at my career and, and the things that I've got to do and the places I've got to go at being a kid, basically, uh, you know, <laughs> takes people, their whole careers or for people that fight, 25 years plus that never even got the, the sniff at what I've got to do in my career. So I know there's a lot more behind it other than just what, what Cody Webster's done. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's just something that I wanted to do from day one and fast forward a couple of years. Like I tried riding some calves, a couple of steers and different stuff, but you know, that was when I had to, uh, we had an arena there at my grandpa's place that we practiced, uh, buck and bulls weekly. And, you know, it, it was, it was a nightmare getting on. I hated it. I hated riding, but I get on because all my cousins and everybody done it. And that's basically the only way that I got to go to the rodeos and get away from home. It was just me and mom at the time and, and my little brother. So money was tight and, and we were living in a trailer park and, uh, you know, I, I would, it was a nightmare getting on, but as soon as I could get off or get bucked off, uh, I'd be back out in the arena with a pair of spurs and chaps trying to fight, you know, trying to, trying to be a bullfighter and, uh, did that for a little while. And then finally, uh, just had enough of it and, and knew what my calling was and knew what I wanted to do at about, uh, 10 years old. And I didn't get on another one after that. And I ended up falling, falling into the, the arms of, of Frank Newsom, uh, the guy that, I had, you know, going back to, to when I was a kid there in, in grade school, uh, off the record, I, I stole a book from the, from the library and it was, it was about rodeo and it had Frank and had Frank fight pictures of Frank fighting bulls in Fort Worth. So, uh, needless to say, I never returned that book and took it home and, and, you know, I'm not proud of stealing, but it's, uh, it's kind of a funny story now looking back, you know, and then what do you know, like three, four years later after that point, uh, I'm at a local bull riding here in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and guess who's fighting bulls at this open road, open bull riding, Frank Newsom. And I was like, holy cow, well, I'm, I'm sitting up there, you know, like at this point I had me a video camera and any time that we went somewhere that they were bucking and fighting bulls, 
I had a video camera and I was filming it. And I'd film it because I wanted to go home and watch it and be able to watch it over and over and over. I didn't have cartoons. I didn't have uh, normal stuff that kids would watch at this point, you know. And it was all bullfighting and rodeo. And had rodeo bloopers, tapes that we wore out. Uh, just everything that every day was, was on my mind was bullfighting. And uh, sure enough, I ended up getting to meet Frank. And, and long story short, we were living about 10 minutes away from each other and at 11 years old I'm showing up over there on the front porch with a dummy and a pair of cleats and he takes me out in the front yard and literally tries to kill me with this dummy and I'm cut up I'm bleeding laying on the ground he's well you still want some more I said yes sir we got up we kept fighting that dummy and and uh now I get to fight you know I've got to fight six PBR world finals with Frank and uh you know he showed me a lot more than just bullfighting in general, you know, it showed me a lot about life and, and the things that I've got to do and decisions and, uh, sure. Thankful to have him in my corner, you know, but that's kind of the, the way things got started. You know, let me touch on this. This was add to what Robbie was painting the picture of like, just how decorated you are. I'm just going to read off. This is from your site. So I know it's legit seven time and this could, uh, maybe it's increased more, but seven time Wrangler international finals rodeo bullfighter. So that's the, the king of the Mecca's of all the, all rodeo. Six-time PBR World Finals bullfighter, obviously the be- the mecca for PBR. Three times PBR Velocity Tour Finals bullfighter. Seven-time PRSA Bullfighter of the Year nominee. Nice. Three times California Road of Silliness Freestyle Bullfighting Champion. So clearly, Cody, um, whatever it was that you know spurred you up and got you rolling, as you just shared, uh, things to be seemed to paying off for you, man. What? How are you? How are you utilizing all this today? for what, you know, what we well, just spoke about. How are you I mean, utilizing it, it, all that? touching in on that. You know, like rodeo is, and bullfighting will give me and everything that I've got. You know, now i got a wife and we got a ranch here and, and uh, we got a bunch of cows around and, and everything going on. But, you know, I was, I wouldn't say I was a troubled kid at the time, but, uh, you know, I sure had a good opportunity to really take uh, left field and, and go off on a bad trail. But man, that it's 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 just every day I wanted to be a bullfighter. It's what I wanted to do. That's where I wanted to be, and uh, you know, it's it give me everything. Like I said, the ranch, everything that we're getting to do. I'm getting geared up, getting ready to do three of my own private bull schools, uh, starting May fifth and sixth and seventh. And uh, you know, there's there's over a hundred kid wait lists wanting to come to my bullfighting school, which is just crazy. I mean, that's absolutely crazy to have that many young, young guys and kids wanting to come learn from me. And, uh, you know, it, it's just crazy, man. It's, it's a cool story. It's a, it's the way it all got started, the way it's all been rolling. But to me, I'm still just Cody Webster that lives here in Aaron Wayne, Oklahoma. You know, it's, it's not that I'm this decorated guy or this, uh, big, crazy, uh, superhero or, you know, somebody that's famous, uh, but to meet people and see people get the shakes and get to where they can't talk around me and different stuff, it's, it's kind of, it almost rubs me in the wrong way because I think I'm just normal, you know, I just love fighting bulls and it doesn't matter where it's at. So it, it's it's crazy, man. But as far as, as this day and age, uh, being full-time with the PBR, uh, full-time with the PRCA, uh, you know, I can just state it, got to make, for seven years now, I've gotten to work uh, both finals, 
uh, the PBR finals, the world finals, the velocity finals, uh, some circuit finals through there, the Texas circuit finals, the Prairie circuit finals, different things that I've been selected for. Uh, you know, it's really set me up on a platform and stage and especially social media and different things that's going on. Uh, like I said, these, these bull schools is something that I really, really put a lot of focus, a lot of time and a lot of thought into. And it's something that I want to be able to build to where I am done fighting bulls and retired fighting bulls that, uh, I can still be around, you know, I've got my own set of fighting cows, uh, fighting bulls and we got a bunch of commercial cows, but, uh, I'm really gearing things towards, uh, building a brand of bull school to be able to keep giving back to this, this sport that has given me everything that's taken me places I never thought I'd get to go. And if I can give that back to one kid, then I think everything, you know, I, I write it off as a win. So uh, that's awesome, man. What so a humble thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were just chatting about that with um, Andy Seiler and um, Steve Godert with Junior World Finals and kind of the opportunity to grow the young men, not just you know riding stock or the women for barrel racing and all that happens with the youth side. But man, there's an opportunity exactly what you're doing here with the um, with the school side for bullfighting. Here, I got a question though, man. You just rattled off a bunch of stuff you do throughout the year, which it sounds to me your schedule is full. What a number one. What do you do to keep your body in shape? Because there's no way you're able to be doing this and just like, I'm just going to wake up and do this today. How are you, what are you doing to keep your, first of all, your body healthy and your mind right? What are the, how are you doing those two in tandem to keep, you know, this kind of this going? Well, Nevada, like the thing is, I mean, is, is it's kind of basically, I mean, like the last couple of years I've been working around the ballpark of 180 performances. So 180 you know, shows, uh, to say for everybody that's listening, the performance is, is the day of the, it's the show of the rodeo. And, uh, to be doing that 180 days a year, uh, you know, that's fighting bulls almost every other day of the year. Mm. And with that being said, I mean, that it, it brings a lot of wear, a lot of tear uh, on my body, uh, my mind, everything that goes into it. But I've really learned and, for all the kids listening and everybody that's in there, you got to really learn what works for you. Because what works for me may not work for Robbie. What works for me may not work for any other bullfighter. But I've, I've really figured out what works for me. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that, that overtraining and overdoing stuff I think is is not good. But I think not doing enough and being where you need to be, uh, ultimately you're not going to make it through the year. So there's a fine line there that you've got to be in and, and for me, it, like, it really depends on the year. During the summer when we're fighting bulls every day, uh, you know, I like to get just a good, easy workout in that gets the blood flowing, get a sweat broke, and and, and kind of maintain what I've got. Uh, when I get home and I have, uh, like, the week, weeks off and just going on the weekends, and I like to do a little bit more weight training, different stuff in the gym. But ultimately, you've got to be in shape, and it's not just to, to – to be tough or be strong, but it's mainly to be able to heal quicker. You know, the quicker that I can heal up, the quicker I'm going to be better at my job and the quicker I'm going to be doing my job better. And, uh, Oh yeah. You've got to be in shape in order to take the, take the beat and the beatings are there. They're there. Uh, sometimes some weekends are a lot rougher than other weekends, but it seems like at least every weekend you're going to come home with something sore. So being in shape is, is basically, 
to be able to heal quicker. What what takes me three days to get over will take some people three weeks. Mm-hmm. So you got to be in shape. So that's a good point. Yeah, you know? and that's that's what I've noticed about you is you may get skin up, but we never hear about. I sure don't want to jinx you, but we never hear about Cody like being out with an injury or, you know, I, you're in great shape. And, uh, but I, and when you say that, you know, that what works for you and your style of bullfighting, I think a lot of that you is attributed to, you don't have to get hooked all the time to save somebody. And I think that's the new style of bullfighting. I think that's why the game is elevated. Talk a little bit about that and that style of you guys with, you know, what y'all call that with the blender and the whole deal, keeping them moving. I think a lot of folks would like to hear about the blender. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, like you said, the game's elevated. You know, uh, you can look back to six years ago, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, to how much it's changed from eight years to now. And, I mean, if you want to step back another 10 years or you want to go back 15 years, even 20 years ago, you know, Joe Baumgartner was one of the greatest bullfighters in my mind that's ever fought bulls. And like anything, uh, an idiot's not going to last in this game. If you're just running and jumping on bulls' heads, you're just you're out. And, and granted, experience brings a lot of that. Uh, you know, you're, the more bulls you get to fight, the more experience you get. Obviously, you know, if you last long enough, you're going to become better at what you do and, and you're going to learn how to step around some shots that you don't need to take. But then again, it don't matter how good you are. If you are doing your job and you're getting in tight and you're getting in tight with bulls and hitting the holes that you're supposed to be hitting, you're going to get run over. You're going to get hooked. It don't matter how good you are because there, there's some days that there's no other way around it. But Joe Baumgartner really elevated the game and, uh, you know, kind of touching back on the PBR, uh, Joe, for for all them years, was three bullfighters. For them PBRs, well, two guys was in, and the third guy would just kind of go hang out in the corner and just talk or, or whatever, you know. Well, Joe kind of decided, he's like, man, what if we put, you know, that guy up on the high side and build her to run uh, three guys at once? He said, if that guy's up there on the high side, because normally when they, a bull turns back and spins, either goes right or left. So according to that, stock contractors generally will put that bull, if he turns back to the right, they'll put him out of a right-hand delivery, so it allows the bull to go right into the spin. Mm. Well, that third guy being high up the wall can automatically come across to the outgate. Nine times out of ten, he can either make a pick or take that bull to the outgate. So that third man becomes really, really effective, uh, so to say. So it gives it get, it cuts down the pie. It goes from two guys having to cover the whole half of the pie to three guys covering a third of the pie. You got me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it, it it's really it's really elevated everything and and how much it's changed the game. And then you brought in myself. You brought in Tugness. You brought in uh, Nate Justice. You know people that that Evan Allard, the prime example got to make his first trip to the NFR last year. And this is a guy that's been fighting bulls. Uh, we started together. We were, we were, you know, 10 years old up there at them junior rodeos working with each other. And, uh, it's a guy that had never been to the NFR, but gets the rotation, gets the idea of what we're getting after. And man, he stepped in there and, and did 
a tremendous job. You know, I, I think very few of us took very many shots at all throughout the 10 days. And we were in some hairy spots. But the game has elevated so much having that third guy there that it really cuts down because there's really no point in time to where a bull can just actually get zoned in on one guy on the rider because there's two other guys that's right there in the face. So it, it's elevated the game, and, and I'm thankful for it. And I really think that's a lot of of the success to myself is the fact that I'm getting to go to some really good rodeos and bull riding, and I get to work with some of the best people in the business every weekend. And when that happens, when you've got the dream team together, uh, it's pretty hard for a bull to get, get the best of you. You know, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting yeah. for me too, like that. When I get to see you guys, Cody. So we had on, uh, I love it during the 2019 FR, we had Rob Smets on and we had Tuckness on. And as you're talking here too, what well, this is the part where I started to become even more of a fan because th- as you, as you start to learn, right. It, going back to the point, just thinking people are dodging bulls and things like that. You're just making it up as you go. It's once they get to hear you talk and kind of hear the strategy, like for instance, Smets, we were in a trailer doing the interviews uh, during the rodeo and he had to get up with the headset on and kind of show the strategies of like, to your point where, you know, the things that happen with the bull, kind of the statistics of what it's going to do, left, right, spin, jump, whatever it's going to do. There's tactics to doing that, your job even better because you've learned over time. But, but what I think, what I think becomes more fascinating is where rodeo is a lot like baseball. It's not there yet, but whereas baseball is all statistically driven, right? Uh, 30% is considered success, right? right? 300 uh, batting average. But I think the more we apply statistics and kind of analyze stuff, it just, I think it starts to show off more of what goes on with you guys and definitely your guys' position where you're dealing with seconds, things that you got, like we had blue jeans on a few weeks ago and, and blue jeans talked a lot about the timing, everything. Well, once you start getting into the statistical world, you start to see how smart you guys are and why you guys are so calm and cool and collective because you have to be, you got to be thinking all the time. And this is kind of a question I have for you is that how do you handle, right? If let's say you go to the, all 10 nights, of the rodeo, let's just go back to NFR. Let's say I'm making it up, but the first five nights, nobody rides. You guys don't really have to kind of do much. And all of a sudden one night, it's like every single ride, you got to be on point. You know what, how do you stay when, when you're inside, when you're, when that bull's getting ready to come out and knowing that and never to be complacent, how do you keep your focus during the event and definitely on a PBR event, right? Cause there's a lot going on. It's, it's all riding bulls. How do you stay focused knowing that like maybe the last eight rides, you didn't have to do anything. What, what are you doing to stay focused? I mean, that, it's a lot of, I don't know, man, I, ADHD, I think probably does really well down there because it, it amplifies everything, but how do you stay focused down in the dirt? Nevada, like it, the thing is, is, is thinking, uh, if you're thinking about what you're trying to do, you're already late. You know, that's, that's the whole deal. When we're in the arena, when it's, when it's game time, there ain't no time for hesitation. There ain't no time to be second guessing yourself. There's no time to be questioning the bulls. All that really doesn't make anything to do with the picture. Like you don't put the bull in the equation and you, you don't put the rider in the equation. You've got to, you got to take in the data that's being sent at you uh, directly in a matter of split seconds. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot like anything. I mean, he talked to the talking on baseball, you know, they say that them major league batters can see the braids of that hundred mile an hour fastball spinning at them, coming at them down the plate, you know? And I, yeah. I believe 
because there's times that I'm sitting there and then when I'm in the zone, I can see particles of dirt leaving a bull's hoof coming at my face. And, and I can time it and close my eyes and let that dirt hit me in the face and then reopen my eyes in order to see and not be blind. Uh, I'm talking particles of dirt coming at you however fast it's coming wow. out of a bull's foot. Hmm. Uh, you know, the game slows down so, so much. And I, I don't know the exact years, but I think this is around 20 years that I've been, I've been in the arena, uh, you know, trying to, to learn to fight bulls and get better. And still, till this day going in, you learn something new every day if you're willing. Man. But the game slows down so much and, and it's crazy to, to see guys go on from bullfighting. Uh, Kevin Pitts is one of my good friends. He was a bullfighter for a long, long time, fought a lot of rank, hot, big, nasty bulls. And he's, he's on the SWAT team now down in Texas. And he, he was telling me here last year when he came to the bull school, he said, man, he said my, all my trainers and everybody, my captains were just blown away with how much further ahead of the game I was just on account of him, like him running into a building full of bad guys, you know, goes back to that bullfight and be able to operate at that kind of level of, of intensity. Uh, you know, there's there's that line that's blacked out, and there's a red line that's right below that. Well, red's almost blacked out, but you can still uh, still function and still operate. And he said that everybody, there's like 12 guys on the squad in this training. He was the only guy out of 12 guys that didn't go to black. He said them guys, they, the other 11 guys on this team, they couldn't talk. They couldn't remember what happened. They couldn't tell you who had the guns, who didn't have the guns. So it's all a mentality. It's all in your head. But, uh, you know, looking back on the bull schools and, and all the, the kids that we've had come through here, uh, it's been really, really neat to take kids that have never been around cattle, never been around stock, but be able to break down the science so much that by day three, we've got kids that's never even seen an, an animal that's stepping around making really good moves on a young bull. Mm. So the, the science is uh, something that, that is really coming around. I think in rodeo in general, the whole entire bull riding rodeo aspect, the whole entire everything that goes into it, it's not crazy anymore because the animals have gotten so, so far along in the breeding side of things that if you're not, you're not breaking down the science and getting better you're not going to make it that's the truth oh well you know there's so much analytics you know what what baseball thrives on is analytics and you think about rodeo a point to like pro fantasy rodeo what what casey jones got going on and you know i watch i look at all the bullstock stats and you know I think right now the unfortunate problem and i think it's just how rodeo is kind of growing right they're a little bit behind the other pro sports but I think it's just more a matter of aesthetics, right? There's just uh, the presentation of all this stuff, but give it a couple of years. There's going to be right. more of a presentation of when you're watching this stuff. Cause you hear it. I can hear it with the guys, you know, I watch a PBR broadcast or even a PRCA broadcast. And the only thing that's missing, and this is just, I think this is what's sweet about having Metters and cowboy channel. All those guys working together now is that you have time to actually start developing better statistic uh, presentations for everybody is because you're watching this that's how people start to learn, right? If I hear somebody talking, I'll kind of get it. But if they start talking about numbers and, and timing and everything that comes place, then I think that, you know, the, the really, the people, that, the, the junkies when it comes to analytics will start gravitating to, to rodeo 
and start understanding this more because every time I talk to a bullfighter, they talk like you, Cody, and you're like, damn, okay, holy crap, man. These guys are seeing this at a whole different level and, you know, but I got a question, man. Yeah, there's a lot of data coming at you. I mean, it's, it's, it's data that you're having to take in in a split second. And like I said earlier, if you're thinking you're already late, it's got to be a reaction. And, you know, there's bulls that, that we see all year that, you know, there, there's a little white bull out in California of the flying use that's wiped me out three times, mm. uh, three yeah. times in a row he wiped me out. And we had him a fourth time at the NFR this year. Sage Kennedy busts his butt and I mean, rising, you know, places pretty high on this bull. And that's where I ended up getting my revenge was there at the pumps. But, you know, like I said, you can't, the bull can't be in the equation because it don't matter how big or how little, how mean he is, how big his horns are. He ain't got any horns. If a guy's in a bad spot, my job is to protect that guy at all costs. And that can be as easy as just being in position to, to get his attention. And then there is times that we actually have to fly in and, and get our jump on his head in order to make him divert off the guy to make the save, you know. So it's at all costs. But going back to it, it does not matter. The bull's not in the equation. Mm. It does not matter because at the end of the day, you have to do your job. Mm. And the same way as Robbie in the barrel, uh, you know, he's, there's a bunch of bulls notorious for, for smoking the barrel. But if a guy's in a bad spot, he's got to be going. It don't matter. Man. I sure don't mind it with you guys, I promise you. Because, you know, and it works both ways. And that goes back to trusting the person that you're working with, Nevada. And, um, you know, just like I said at the beginning of this, it's a warm blanket knowing you don't mind wading off in there with that 130 pound barrel knowing that as soon as you get knocked down, you're not going to see him again. You're going to get broadside. You know, somebody's going to take care of you. And, and of course you guys are the best there is at it. And there's nothing, there's not a better combination of you three guys that you were just talking about to work with. And it, it does, it changes how I work the barrel, knowing that I'm going to get taken care of. And just like it, uh, hopefully it changes the way that they work, knowing that I'm going to come dig them out, if, you know, and, and be part of Thank it. You and, and, mm. Yeah. I mean, it, we're, we're a tripod. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you take a leg off, something falls and, uh, but for them guys, it's amazing. So you're talking about your schools a little bit. Um, if a kid wanted to, you know, even from the streets, even, cause I know you'll, you're, you're that guy from what I've known you for 20 years. How, to, how can a kid get a hold of you? You know, if he, if he's interested in that and, and with the school stuff, what's the best way to get hold of you? The website? Yeah, I've got everything set up on my, on my website, which is uh dot com. And, uh, like I said, Robbie, there's, there's a hundred and something emails of kids that's wanting to come to my bull school and, and it's, you know, a couple of years ago when I started getting all these fighting cows and, and bulls and everything, like I intended on wanting to be able to do, you know, eight to 10 camps a year, maybe even more. But, uh, right. the way that my schedule has gotten now, uh, it's, it's really, really hard to be able to fit in time in order to be able to, to do the schools. But with everything going on and, and my maids have always been a little bit slow. So I've got three private camps, uh, lined up for May. And, uh, but yeah, kids can go to, to Cody Webster bullfighting.com. Uh, there's a form on there that says to, to enter, uh, you know, fill out everything and send it in for the bull school. And then I get an email. So I've got everybody on a, on an email thread, 
it allows me to, when I'm ready to do a camp, I'll go in there and start emailing them kids back. And, uh, which is kind of a, a neat way of doing things. Uh, you know, talking back on the schools, like if you can't follow directions to go to the website and be able to submit your application, then we need to learn a little bit more than just bullfighting, you know? So it, it's all got its purposes yeah. and everything going for it. But man, and I love teaching. I love fighting bulls. I love everything that goes into it. And, uh, for me, I remember being that kid that, that looked up to guys and there's been a bunch of my heroes that I've got to meet that I wish I'd have never met. And what that being said is really, really hit home for me that when I'm doing these camps or when a kid comes up wanting to talk or get an autograph or whatever, anything that goes on with it, I know what rodeo and bullfighting and, and the PBR has done for me and changed my life. And like I said, if, if we can bring in a kid here and turn him into rodeo, and turn him on to, to fighting bulls and, and being in this lifestyle versus a, a life of drugs and, and everything else that goes on. Like I said, the world's going to be a lot better. And what a, what a great time to be getting into it because, man, rodeo, the, the whole Western lifestyle is growing, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. With all these, you know, the TV coverage and last, you know, these 40 days of rodeo, everybody's getting a dust. And, it, and it's actually people will let you know that too. And I'm sure they do you, you know, that, Hey, we're watching the cowboy channel. We just found this new channel and there's rodeo on every night at seven, you know, and, and I'm digging it. I love it. I know you are too. Let's take a little break. We'll be back in two minutes. Each year at Cowboy Christmas, more than a quarter million country western shoppers mingle with NFR contestants, Flint Rasmussen, and the best junior cowboys and cowgirls in the world. There's no place in sports where your rodeo heroes find time to meet and greet their fans 9 to 5 every day. Cowboy Christmas. It's shopping, live music, rodeo, and so much more. Book your reservations and find out more at NFRExperience.com. Cowboy Christmas. It's all here. Hi, I am Benny Butler, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Yeah, what about your fighting bulls? How many, I mean, Nevada, you, you, we need to take Nevada out there and feed with you one day. Yeah, I'm down. I'm in. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> as far as all my Spanish cattle go, uh, you know, these are direct bloodlines that go straight to, to Mexico and even to Spain. So uh, there's quite the, quite the chemistry going on out here. I, we went out this morning and had my first calf for this year's crop. And uh, I've got a Rex Dunn bull that, that is really, really sought after. They called him Chickasaw Nation. This is a, a really big, bad, uh, half-bramer, half-fighting bull that right. ended a lot of bullfighters' careers. So I've got a oh. direct son out of him here. They're identical, and he's on all my Spanish cows, full-blooded fighting cows. So uh, we had our first calf this morning, and so that's kind of pretty exciting. But there's, there's probably 70... Uh, which I've I've kind of gotten a little bit of an addiction uh, with fighting bulls and cows. Oh gosh, to say the least. Mm. And uh, so there's about seventy head of uh, females, and then there's about fifty head of fighting bulls. Actually, actual bulls here. But uh, that I'm going to start cutting that number down considerably. I want to get down to like my top thirty, you know, cows that I want to breed with every year, and and also. Uh, every year, the, the heifers that we get out of these cows and, and cows themselves, I use for the schools just for the fact that, you know, when a bull gets you down and, and hooks on you, 
more, nine times out of ten, he's going to hurt you and he's going to break bones. Uh, these cows don't have quite the the muscle mass and, and as strong and stout as the bull is, so they can they can get these students. And don't get me wrong, they still get them bad, and they'll really hook on. <laughs> them, but they're not they're not going to break bones. They're going to scuff you up. They're going to make you bleed, but they're not going to break bones like a bull would. So mm. that's what I'm is the ultimate goal of having all these females around is, is being able to use these cows and heifers for, for the schools, for the young students. Yo, I, that's, that's good. That's, yeah, that's awesome. like a, that's like a motorcycle hitting you instead of a car. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. It still hurts. Like it, don't get it, wrong. it hurts fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I got a question, Cody. Bone, which allows that kid to, to get up and, and learn. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta be able to heal and get back up here. I Okay. So let's, let's, how about one of your, because of what you've seen on the dirt, what was probably your probably more special moment at the NFR that you've been a part of with, with a bull rider? Maybe, maybe it was, I don't know. I'm just gonna make it up like Sage on, you know, night, night eight of uh, this past rodeo or J dub or, or at what point was a highlight of kind of your, your kind of young career right now that you were a part of one of those bull riders moments. What, is there, is there a moment that sticks out in your head that you were part of something that went down at the NFR that just, just always comes to frame of mind for you? Well, as far as NFR goes, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, there's so many of them stories that, that has been neat, you know, it, it, uh, like for instance, I mean, Sage Kimsey going on six, seven times now being the world champion back to back to back. I mean, you're talking an athlete that, that shows up day in and day out and puts his best foot forward. And I've seen him ride through some horrible injuries. I've seen him ride through days that he couldn't even hardly get out of bed, but still got up and, and showed up to the rodeo and made a good bull ride. Uh, getting to see someone like him or, or getting to see, you know, a, a young Kobe Radley or a Dustin Bokeh or somebody that, that makes their first trip. And for me, getting to make my first trip in 2013, I mean, it was a blur. There was, I mean, I'll just say it on air. I, I peed my pants before the first herd <laughs> sitting there in the tunnel. I tried up. to. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll admit it. I did. I pissed my pants. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of them deals being a kid all these years, you know, setting your, your alarm to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to watch the bull riding at the NFR and then get back up at 7 to go to school. I mean, I can't tell you how many nights that's happened. And to have it all sitting right there, right in front of you, uh, it it was overwhelming. It was quite the blur, man. You know, like it was it was crazy getting to make that first trip. So I I haven't forgot that. You know, I still remember the jitters and, and everything that goes into it. So getting to see these these new contestants and young guys come in and get to make the first trip, uh, it was it's special. And I think that's probably the coolest side of it is seeing a guy grind it out all year. And, you know, Trey Kinsey last year is a prime example. Come down to the last day of the season, had to punch his ticket, and ends up winning, winning wherever he was just like a couple dollars more than he needed to make that 15th spot. Well, him coming in as number 15 was as good as him coming in as number one because he made it, you know. So it's, some of them, them moments are probably the most special, uh, you know, like I said, getting to see Sage go on and do what he's, you know, accomplishing right now, I think will maybe something we'll never get to see again. Uh, some of the great bull rides. 
I've gotten to witness and be a part of. And just the family, the memories, everything that goes into it is, is really special and neat to me. Sounds like that's so true. Sounds like what is gratitude, it about man. that tunnel that makes you want to pee your pants? I know, why do why does every time I go down that tunnel I want to pee my pants too? You know, I don't understand well, like, what's I mean, going on me, down there. I know. You know, like you you go there a couple days early for meetings and everything, and you get to see the arena, you get to see everything that's going on. And you think, oh, shoot, I'll be good. Well, when that thing's packed with eighteen thousand people and they're sitting there in their stand, you know, in their seat. Coming down that tunnel, it's kind of at a pretty good angle, and it's kind of hard to really, like, you can barely see the front row across the arena when you're coming down the tunnel. But as soon as you step out of that tunnel, I mean, there's 18,000 fans <laughs> on top of you. They're not over there or up there. They are on top of you. And it's the quickest, the most fastest rodeo that I've ever got to be a part of. I mean, there was one year there, that, like, they'd set a record. I think they bucked, like, three bulls in a matter of, like, a minute and – 40 seconds or something like it was, it was unheard of. So it, it's a blur, you know, Cody Sosby uh, got to make his trip there a couple of years ago. And that's a guy that, you know, he sat there and admitted, he's like, man, he said, you guys were blending and, and going from side to side and arena to arena. And he said, I didn't have enough time to even blink, much less be fighting 15 bulls. Like you guys are. He's like, it's, it is absolutely crazy to be sitting here at ground level to see what's going on. And Robbie, you can, you can attest to that. I mean, oh, wow. and everything's going. There's no time to think. It's all reaction. I know it, it is so fast, and and but to experience that, just like we were talking about, you know, and one of my favorite things about when somebody says, "What's the best experience for you at the NFR?" and you'll know this too, and the reason I'm going to this, that locker room is fun, isn't it? It, it you know, we're sitting in there watching the show and. You know, watching before you, you're not even allowed to come out of the tunnel if you don't know until I mean, dressed out. Sean used to make it where you couldn't even go out of the tunnel until what barrel racing. Barrel so you yeah. know, it's still you got an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you know, and the, and then you got to hurry to get ready because, like you said, it's so fast. I remember sitting in there just chilled out watching it on TV, and the next thing you know, you better be hurrying because you're going to be late. Yeah, I mean, but you I, can you can watch a couple of them first bear rack riders, but. I tell you, after that, you'd better be getting your stuff on and getting ready because they're going to be bucking the first bull before you know it. Yep. I know. And there's a little bit of trickery and tomfoolery goes on down there, too, that I, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of of horse assing around that goes on in the locker rooms. But, you know, I I think it's good. I think it's good to to have somebody to kind of mess with you and jack with you because you sit there and really let it wear on you and think on you. You know, you, you can... You can overanalyze and overthink things real quick with an event like that. Yep. So uh, it's good to be loose and calm and cool. There's no doubt. Right. I have to ask you this question since uh, I was told by a really good friend of yours and I was to ask you this question. Um, so since we're talking about trickery and tomfoolery, what? Uh, tell us a little bit. Blue asked me to tell you this. Tell us a little bit about the time you were going to Arcadia and the truck ran out of diesel and they left you at the truck stop. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. Thanks, boy. This is this, Nevada. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was young, you know. I was just cutting my teeth in the PRCA and, and getting really get to going. And, and Keith Stewart and Jerry Nelson, Frontier Rodeo, they, they give me a, a pretty good break. They give me my first kind of big run of rodeos that, that all went together. So we went to we went to Florida to like Fort Pierce to 
Arcadia, Florida, back to Montgomery, to Beaumont. To, I mean, there's a whole whole run of them rodeos that I ended up getting a book for a couple of years there. And it was, uh, you know, back in the younger days, you got to do what you got to do. You can't you can't get them high price wages. You can't uh, get your own rig. You can't get your own room and everything. So you're you're part of the crew. You're you're with the crew that puts on the rodeo. So. I got in with Frontier Rodeo here in Oklahoma, and I and, uh, got in a, uh, there's three semis, and then there's a, a one-ton with a with a long gooseneck that had feed and everything else on it, and that's what me and Ryan Bestel drove all the way to Florida was that one-toner. Well, Rumford is uh, driving one of the semis. This is back in Rump's early career, too, so he was still trucking and doing the whole, you know, trying to cut your teeth and get your start, which... I'm a big fan of. I think it's great for a young guy to, to have to go experience that because for me, that's when I really got to learn the ins and outs of the industry. I really got to learn a lot. And being around right. stock, being around all that is, is going to do nothing but promote and help a guy. So we can get into that later. But we're, we're driving, and Rumford says, Man, Heath, I think we, we need to get some diesel. He said, well, how much you got left? Said, oh, I think I got like a quarter tank, but, you know, need to get on it. Well, I don't know if we kept passing gas stations or whatever the deal was, but Rumford runs that semi out of diesel on the side of the interstate. <laughs> well, the rest of the, the rest of the semis go on, and it, it's me and Bessel. We get turned around and flipped around and finally get Rumford picked up, and we head on into town to, to get diesel. Uh the only way that we had a we had a diesel tank on that truck, but the only way that you could get get to it was to take the trailer off. So we're in mm-hmm. Georgia or Alabama or somewhere I don't know, somewhere off the beaten path, heading to Florida, and it's about three in the morning, and we pull into this gas station, and it's a pretty rough looking gas station. I ain't gonna lie. I'm thinking, boy, what the hell have we got ourselves into? So we all walk in and, and Rumford, he's wheeling and dealing and he says, ma'am, uh, we need to, we need to park this trailer, unhook this trailer right here in this parking lot. Cause we ran a semi out of diesel a couple miles back. Would that be all right to leave it here? She goes, yeah, it'd be good if you, if you leave that trailer there, but you better leave somebody with it. Cause they'll be in here stealing it. It'll be gone. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, great. Well, Rumford, somebody, somebody's going to stay at it. Well, Everybody looks at me and goes, yeah, Webster will stay with the trailer. And, buddy, let me tell you, that was the longest hour and a half because they had to get diesel in the truck and finally get it primed and running. That was the longest hour and a half I've ever had sitting in a random <laughs> gas station parking lot with a trailer full of horses and feed and everything else. Did you get some visitors coming over and want to know what the hell you're doing? <laughs> there's a lot of visitors around. I'm not going to go into full detail, but it was scary. Oh, oh he'll laugh about that. That's fantastic. Now, what a great career. You know, one of the best things about Webster, too, we both started, you know, you went to the uh, IFR in 2011. And, oh, yeah. And then, well, and then. Me too. You know, that's where I started. And it was such a great stepping stone. It's so amazing to hear. And it's a different brotherhood of the guys that actually, you know, went there first. Me, you, Sosby. Um, so many guys went to the IFR and then moved. I don't want to say moved up. We just moved over, you know, because to us, that was the greatest thing going, wasn't it? You know, and then. Oh, no doubt. And then, no doubt. Yeah. 
and 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 I think that's where the the brotherhood of that comes from, Rodriguez and those guys. And uh, so, who gave you your first start with those? I mean, you know, with the, even at the IRA days, where did you start? Well, like uh, so for years, you know, like like Paul Valley, uh, mm-hmm. which is a ten minute drive from me, Stratford, Oklahoma, is fifteen minute drive from us. Winniewood, Oklahoma. I actually lived there uh, when I was real young. That's about 10, 15 minutes from us now. Uh, those all were, were IPRA rodeos. So every year, you know, we were a part of the, the clubs and, and would go help for a week and a half before, get the arenas ready. So we were we were heavily involved with the IPRA uh, just as mm-hmm. far as putting on the, you know, being a part of the committee uh, when I was real young. So I was always around them rodeos and then ended up, uh, get old enough and, and, and get enough to kind of fight bulls that uh, Wendell Rashford uh, actually gave me my first uh, IPRA jobs and took me under, gave me his whole run there. So we went, you know, Winniewood, Stratford, all these local rodeos I've been to since I was a kid, went into Arkansas, right. different places for different rodeos for Wendell. And, and that's the year that I got to go to IFR was the year I worked all the rodeos for him. So uh, Wendell Rashford, oh, a big, big thanks to uh i still buy my hay off of him every year to this day <laughs> and uh you know he's a, he's a great guy and, and man Super i'm sure cool. thankful for all them guys that gave him my first 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 start you know without them guys giving me the opportunity uh there's no telling where i'd ended up so i'm forever grateful for that and you know and, and they're really good friends now mm. of course they are that that's great and see that's what i love about guys like that every success story nevada that we always hear about they're they're thanking somebody else you know it takes a family here you know it takes a village and um boy you you've been a success buddy good lord i can't wait uh, so we get back going you know i thank you cody man this is uh, great robbie yeah but you know what i I, i've been watching you from the side that i i I work with lve and far from the digital media side and kind of pay attention to all you guys man and and hearing you talk just like we talked tuckness and Aaron back in the day and, you know, learning the old guys, you know, they've kind of brought you guys along to where we're at now. It's just amazing to know you guys. And once again, I'll say this over and over again, hopefully this podcast as people listens, they start to care because they, they all of a sudden they get to meet Cody Webster through this process, right? Makes you want to go watch Mm -hmm. and they care more, which I think creates more fandom and, you know, but I, I, Hey, first of all, thank you for coming on, man. This was, Oh man, this is, this is good stuff, man. You shared a lot of, I, I I knew this was going to go down this way. Just kind of been paying attention to what you do on social media, but I seriously thank you for coming on this show, Robbie. I mean, what do, what do you got to say here with Cody? Yeah, man, I, I tell you what, I can't wait. I love our, during this little time we've been off, Cody will call me. He'll learn a new guitar lick. Cause he's quite a little guitar picker too, you know, and uh, he's actually sets in with us when the band's playing and stuff. And it's pretty doggone good at it. And it's so fun when I, I know when I'm getting a, uh, a FaceTime from, and it says Cody Webster on there. I just run over and grab my strat <laughs> and we just sit and, and we learn something. And you're like, Hey man, listen to this. And it's so good to hear him from three years ago to now. And, and it's, yeah, so we've come we, a long way. We feel it very good. Yeah. We've come a long way. No, <laughs> we got a phone. You sure have, buddy. I'm, I'm proud. We're going to put a band together and it's going to be the insane clown rodeo clown posse. Clown posse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the real. Uh, it's good, man. Clown posse. It, and like I said, it's getting to, getting to go to all these finals and getting to have the accolades that I've gotten and everything. It's, I mean, that's all cool. And, and it's, I'm forever 
uh, grateful for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it don't matter how many buckles you got. It don't matter how cool you are. It's all about how good of a person you are. And the older I get and the more places I get to go, that's a lot. That's really making a lot more sense to me. You know, there's there's world champions and, and guys that are, you know, some of the best cowboy athletes we've ever had, but just aren't very good, kind people to be around. And man, like I said, if every one of us step back and and take a take it a point to to bring up a young kid or help a young guy or or just whatever the case be, just take the time to talk to these people. You know, talking to John Drowning last year was at the NFR. Uh, in the spa of all places was really, really touching to me and, and how I wanted to be because, you know, he talked about Lane Cross and tough Edelman and all them guys of that era. And he talked about how kind and how great of a person Lane was. And he said, there was never ever a time that he walked by a kid that wanted to talk to him. And there's a lot of them other guys that did. And I still see it till this day. And, uh, like I said, man, if, if we, if we just take the time and, and give back to what, the industry's done for us and give back to everybody that's been there. Be a good person. Things are going to come around for you. I'm a firm believer of it. I couldn't agree more. I guarantee it's worked for you. Yeah. Well, sure hey. worked for you, buddy. Well, thank you. What a day. Yeah, seriously. Thank you guys for having me on, man. And uh, Everybody oh, stay safe it. and stay positive through this deal. And we're fixing to do the radio, and I feel it. Yeah, you too, Cody. I do too. And quick sending tornadoes. That's it for episode 47. We want to give a big thank you to Jack Roddy and Cody Webster for joining NFR Extra. Tune in to episode 48 with guest Dale Mosier, otherwise known as the Dirt Guy for Wrangler NFR, and Ali Brigett, two-time Wrangler NFR National Anthem performer. For more information regarding the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, visit NFRExperience.com and follow Las Vegas NFR on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out to Vegas, where the big boys roam. With the rovers and the racers and the bulls and the browns. And the ladies in the skin-tight ringers and the cowboy hats.